You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all again. Thanks for having me back. So it's been a couple of weeks since I had the pleasure of bringing uh, us around God's word, and we discussed the need to, uh, for Christians to grow up and be like Christ in all things. And today we're going to be continuing with that idea and focus on how we ought to live as Christians. So let's begin with a short prayer. Lord, help us to understand your word this morning. Help us to grow as Christians and to live in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was in university, I was the leader of a a group of young adults that met weekly for a Bible study group. Uh, Each week we looked at a, a chapter in the Bible and we discussed it together, thinking about how it applied to our life. And during this time, I saw many of the people in my group uh, change and become more like Christ over time. Uh, The the church I attended at the time had a lot of international students, and, and that meant a lot of new people would regularly join us. And eventually, one of my now best friends, uh, named Seek, uh, joined our group, and he was a fairly new Christian at the time. And Seek was a very hard-working and passionate chef, um, and he worked very long hours in extreme temperatures and and dealt with the pressures of a a busy restaurant. And because of this, Seek had developed quite a habit of swearing and had a bit of a temper, and would normally hear it come out during our Bible study groups. But over time, what I experienced was that Seek started apologizing for swearing, and then he started trying to change his language and got better at dealing with his temper. And today, I don't think I've heard him swear for a very long time. But how did Seek change? And why did he decide that these types of behaviours were no longer appropriate? And that is the question I want us to focus on this morning. How should we live as Christians? Should we stop doing certain things and rather do other things that are more beneficial for us? And so last week, you would have looked at the second half of chapter 4 where Paul is encouraging and challenging us to be representatives for Christ, people who imitate God in their actions and behaviours. And as we begin reading chapter 5, Paul will continue this challenge and look at how we should leave our old life as sinners and embrace our new life as Christians representing Christ. So let's begin with a question. What do you think is the most difficult part of being a Christian? Is it regularly praying or reading the Bible? Uh, Maybe it's attending church on a weekly basis. Maybe you struggle with showing Christian love to some people that you just think are too difficult to deal with. Or maybe you struggle with lying or laziness or being a good steward of your money and saying no to the items you don't need, like walking down DFO and uh, seeing all the sales for Black Friday yesterday. Or maybe it is something else for you. But for me, I think one of the hardest parts is being in the world, but not being a part of the world. Trying to find that appropriate line to walk as a Christian amidst everything else happening around us. Where we have to avoid evil and say no to sin, and yet we still need to engage and demonstrate love to non-Christians and to also do that without casting judgment on them either. 
So today's scripture begins with Paul telling the Ephesian church that sin and evil should not even be a consideration for us as Christians. A very lofty and difficult task indeed. And in fact, it's not just our actions that we need to consider, but also the way we speak and interact as well. We must remember that Paul is continuing his thought from verse 1 of chapter 5, that we should be imitators of God. Now, if God is holy, if he is righteous and perfect, then shouldn't his church aim for such perfection as well? So when we become a Christian, Christ separates us from the world. We are born again and have a new life, a new heart and a new identity. We are now part of God's kingdom, which operates on righteous, moral living and an expectation of obedience to Christ, covered by his grace and forgiveness. And this is why Paul reminds his readers that sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed, does not have any place in God's kingdom and therefore should not be activities that Christians are involved with in any way. Now, interestingly, Paul calls a person who does these things an idolater. And if you've read through the Old Testament before, you'll definitely know that you don't want to be a worshipper of idols. God's wrath and judgment was always laid out on those that would reject God and instead worship wood, rocks and other living things rather than the creator who made them in the first place. And so, for example, when we read through the book of Judges, we see that the Israelites had finally entered into the promised land. However, over time, they drifted and started worshipping the gods of nations around them. They started to live their own way instead of in a community that has God at the center. And then when they had done this for a period of time, God sent one of the nations around them to punish them by killing them. And eventually that led them back to seeking God as their refuge again. Now, it might not be the same for us today as Christians, but what does it mean? We may not bow down to a piece of wood, but what do we as Christians put in the place of God instead? Do we worship a TV screen or do we worship a mobile phone? Do we worship food? And I use those examples because they hit close to home for myself. But maybe there are others who worship money and the shopping mall, always needing to buy something new. Maybe we worship ourselves through social media and placing ourselves in the place of God. Idolatry is an action and a heart attitude where we provide loyal service to anything other than our creator, God himself. And this morning, it may be necessary to reflect and consider your current life. Has anything over the last six months changed? And have your priorities shifted? Or have you been focusing on something that may not be beneficial for yourself? However, we must also not despair if this has been our experience lately. Unfortunately, because we are in between Christ's first and second coming, sin has not been fully done away with yet in this world. There will be temptations and struggles that each of us will have to deal with. And God is patient with us and has provided his Holy Spirit to enable us to overcome. God loves you, and that is why Christ died upon that cross. For you and for me, that we can get let go of our failings and start fresh, 
following Christ, knowing that God's wrath has been taken care of. And now our call is to put evil behind us, put sin behind us by the power of the Holy Spirit and to live as imitators of God. To attempt to be perfect and holy like he is, but relying on God's grace and mercy when we fail and to help us get back up again. And so when we become a Christian, we understand that as representatives and imitators of God, that certain activities in our life must stop. We must say no to sin and evil. But now we will see that it's not just stopping activities that we are called to do, but rather we must start new activities that are good and pleasing to God. So having turned our attention away from sin and evil, we put that behind us. Paul calls us to focus our attention on imitating God. He says that we should be children of light, as it says in verse 8 of chapter 5. We must ask the question, what does this look like? In verse 8, Paul reminds us that we were originally sinners, stuck in darkness. However, with what Christ has done for us, we are no longer stuck in that form of living. We have become children of light set free from the power of sin over our lives. And as Paul describes in verse 9, we should therefore live as children of the light, producing fruit that represents that light. Now, the idea of fruit in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, frequently refers to the actions and conduct displayed in relationship to our beliefs. In our case for today, Paul advises the Ephesians that the fruit of the light we represent is goodness, righteousness, and truth. But what does those concepts mean? Well, let's take goodness, for example. Goodness is the representation of moral excellence. That if someone were to look and make a judgment about your particular actions, they would only be able to say that what has been done is good and noble. And so if you recall my friend Seek, as the Holy Spirit helped him change his behavior and his speech, he began to demonstrate different behaviours and speak in a manner that was cleaner and reflective of God. And in terms of righteousness, this is the representation that our actions and conduct have been completed in a way that displays integrity and honour and is aligned to God's moral standards. That if God were to review our actions, he would say that we have acted appropriately and correctly given the circumstances. It is important to note here that righteousness is not from the perspective of man, where culture and opinions can change and quite change quite rapidly as we see in today's society. But rather it is from the perspective of God. So consider an employee who is faced with the decision of completing a job before a deadline or joining his friends for a party. What would be the righteous action in this circumstance? Well, the employee should continue and complete their obligations before they enjoy the pleasures of having a party. And allowing him to demonstrate that his integrity as a good employee matters to be righteous. And lastly, truth. Truth is the representation of where the words that we speak align with the perfectly with the actions that we take. 
In fact, Jesus is the perfect example of truth. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. It is Jesus who is our perfect example of living a life of truth. That when we say yes or no, we truly do mean that, and the actions that follow align to our statements. And so as children of the light, Paul calls us to find out what pleases the Lord in verse 10. And so there are two questions we should ask ourselves in this regard. What does God think of the current actions I'm taking today? And how could I please God today? And so <clears throat> I'll assume by now that we realize that Ephesians 4 to 6 has a major element of examining our life to evaluate what is pleasing and displeasing to God. So therefore, let us examine our lives. And I've got a list of queries to consider for the two questions I just mentioned before. For our current actions, some examples of questions we might want to ask ourselves include, what would God think of the movies I've been watching lately? Or what would God think of the books that I'm currently reading? And what would God think of the relationships and friendships that I currently have? And what would God think of the sports or the vacations that we are going to be doing? Each of these aspects in our lives are not necessarily wrong or evil in and of themselves. However, if they do not aid us in our walk with Christ or they take the place of priority in our lives, they may not be beneficial for us. And it may mean we need to consider changing aspects of our lives to better imitate Christ. In contrast, what about the things we should do for our day? Some of those questions might include, who will I meet today and how can I share Christ with them? What difficult conversations do I need to have with others around me? Or how can I spend time with Christ today in my busy schedule? Indeed, the answer to these questions may, may not necessarily be easy, and changing our lives to imitate and represent Christ can be a very difficult transition. However, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do that, and so we ought to employ wisdom to complete that transition to be imitators of God. <clears throat> And so my favourite Bible teacher, Dr. Chuck Missler, frequently asked his audience a thought-provoking question. How many weekends do you have left in this life? And when we think about our lives in years, it can feel or sound like we might have a long time left to go. <clears throat> and however, when you put it into maybe a more relatable context, like a weekend, it can, can become more real for us. For example... If I was 50 years old, as an assumption, and I lived to the age of 75, I would have about 25 years left of my life. Now, this sounds quite a long time, because I'm personally 25 years old, and I, I do feel like I've been around for a while now. However, if I converted those 25 years into weekends, it would only be 1,300. And considering how quickly my weekends have been flying by lately, as I get ready to go on holiday, and it's already been two weeks since I was here last, this feels like quite a short time to go. But why use this illustration 
when it comes to applying wisdom in our life, as Paul states in verse 15. Well, firstly, hopefully we all live much longer than 75 years of age. And apparently the average lifespan in Australia is around 84, so you've got an extra 468 weekends if you like your math. But it gives us a good benchmark to examine our life. It is a useful reminder that our time on earth is very brief in comparison to eternity after death. And indeed, the actions we take here and now can have a very big impact on our future eternity. And this is why Paul, in verse 15, reminds his readers to be careful about how they live. We must be wise in our dealings and use the opportunities that God has given us to represent Christ where possible and please the Lord, as it says in verse 10, whilst we still have breath in our lungs. In fact, Paul says that we should not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will in verse 17. How might we know his will? Well, we have to have a personal relationship with the Lord. And so consider a husband and wife. How are each of them supposed to understand their desires and goals their partner has unless they are to communicate and listen, to know their partner? Is it not the same with our relationship with God? If we do not listen to what God has to say to us, how might we know or do his will? And as we know him better, we are opened up to the many opportunities Christ has for us. And so maybe God's will is for us to continue with what we're currently doing and make a better effort to minister to the people around us. Or maybe God's will for you is to change what you're currently doing and consider a new path in life. Like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, each of us have gifts and are called to use them for Christ and his church. And so maybe the question is, are we using those gifts? And so last weekend, my wife and I watched the new Hunger Games movie. And whilst I definitely wouldn't recommend that for younger viewers, something that stood out to me quite prominently in the film, and maybe because I was in the midst of preparing this message, was the accuracy in which they represented our own human fallen nature. How our passions and our desires and our fears can dramatically impact the actions that we take. It reminded me of the way that we as Christians need to be wise and learn to control our passions and desires, to direct them towards Christ and away from our sinful nature. And this may sometimes feel quite difficult, and we're unable to do it in our own power. However, that is why God has given us a beautiful and powerful gift. He's given us the Holy Spirit who can aid us in overcoming sin, aid us in choosing a different path, and allow us to please God with our lives instead. So therefore, let us be wise in our actions and conduct. Let us make the most of every opportunity and understand God's will for our life, which is one of the greatest journeys that one can take on earth. And rather than trying to fill the emptiness that might exist in our life with substitutes like alcohol or sex or shopping or social media, we should allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and enable us to live for Christ instead. We should be thankful for God's gifts to us and demonstrate that through celebration and song, as Paul outlines in verse 19 and 20. So then, 
We're now at the conclusion of today's message. And we're left with our initial question. How should we as Christians live our lives? And in my opinion, Paul's challenge to us this week can be summarised in three key sentences. Number one, we must avoid sin. Number two, we must do what pleases God. And number three, we must be wise and use the opportunities God has given to us. Every day we interact with different people around us. There is always someone watching and examining our life, how we act and react to the situations we find ourselves in. And you and I bear the title of Christian, someone who represents Christ, and therefore, Paul has challenged us this morning to be imitators of God, to examine our lives and consider what parts of our life are pleasing to God and what parts do not please him and maybe need to change, to be thankful for God's many gifts in our life and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to shape us and mould us to be like Christ. And yet, while Paul's message to the Ephesians in this chapter is challenging and a difficult ideal to attain, we can take comfort knowing that God is gracious and loving. He is patient with us and forgiving. He has given us mercy and love even when we were not worthy of it. Christ Jesus paid the penalty of our sins upon that cross, dying to allow us to be forgiven of our sins. But then Christ rose again as a victor, like Paul mentioned in chapter 4, paving the way that we might be able to live for God and overcome our sinful nature through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so as I mentioned at the start of this message, after my best friend Sikh accepted Christ as his Lord and Saviour, he didn't immediately change all of his ways, and he had to learn how to live like Christ. It was the gospel message that began the transformation for him, from sinner to Christian. And the Holy Spirit continues to work on moulding and shaping him to be like Christ, helping him deal with his temper, helping him control his tongue and the language that he uses, and becoming a trusted and valued friend that I have today. And with that being said, I would like to conclude by encouraging you with reading the lyrics of a song called Christ is Mine Forevermore that I believe sums up the message for us today quite well. It says, Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him, yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the King of Kings. But mine is hope in my Redeemer, Though I fall, his love is sure. For Christ has paid for every failing. I am his forevermore. And so let's pray. Lord, forgive us for our failings in being like you. Allow us to honour you and leave these doors today, pleasing you with our lives, imitating Christ and being true to our word. And help us to ultimately lead others to you and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.